0: Good to be with you, brothers and sisters. I am Pastor Tim. I want you to think about this for a second. How many different people do you think you have connection and relationship with? You think about your spouse, your siblings, your parents, maybe some high school friends, maybe college friends if you went to college, neighbors, coworkers, right? Most of us, if we think about it, we have dozens and dozens of relationships ranging all the way from like intimate partners to close friends, just work acquaintances and distant relatives maybe you see once every five years. But here's a question. If you think about all those different kinds of relationships, how many of them would you say those relationships are easy? Right? How, many, how many of those relationships just come very easy and naturally? How many of them are strained? How many of the relationships in your life would you say are healthy, healthy relationships? Listen, Humans are created for relationship. And and our covenant relationship with God, with our Creator, is the very foundation of our relationships with every person around us. God Himself is a relational God. We talk about our God as a trinity. That means Father, Son, and Spirit. And Father, Son, and Spirit in relationship have flourished together for all of eternity. Now tragically, our relationship with God has been severed by sin. And the severing of our relationship with God has caused a collateral damage across every aspect of our reality. It's far-reaching. And our broken vertical relationship impacts every other horizontal relationship in our life. As a result of our broken relationship with God, all other human relationships, whether it's husbands and wives, parents and children, siblings, friendships, work partnerships, all those relationships are now strained. They're painful. They're dysfunctional. See, the sinful patterns of of anger, arrogance, mistrust, indifference, unforgiveness, bitterness, jealousy, hatred, those patterns abound in our lives. You can clearly see this in a variety of ways. Marriages that end in divorce. Friends who no longer speak. Children who cut their parents out of their lives. Churches that split apart. Work partnerships that dissolve. But praise God, He did not forget us. See, through Christ, we can be reconciled back to our Father, our Creator. And once that vertical relationship is restored, there's now a foundation to begin to rebuild every other horizontal relationship in the human sphere. However, even for Christians, even for those of us that lean into that reality, relationships are still hard, are they not? See, even if our relationship with God takes a priority, As it should. Even if we are daily walking closely and intimately with our Father, every other human relationship still takes energy and effort. Our own sins, the sins of those that we love, are still a daily constant obstacle. An obstacle to having a stable, healthy, loving, God-honoring relationship with the people around us. See, listen, healthy relationships are just not going to happen. They don't just happen in and of themselves, not even for Christians. Healthy relationships require time and energy and effort and initiative, and most of all, healthy relationships require the overwhelming spirit and grace of God to flood and fill our hearts and our connection with those around us. And, and listen, I think healthy relationships and maintaining healthy relationships has always been difficult but I don't know about you, it feels like in the 21st century we have an extra level. We have unique challenges, right, that make healthy relationships even more difficult. I mean, think about it. some of these factors for a minute. People, some of you guys commute two hours a day. You work 60 hours a week. You have very little time, just functionally, practically, very little time for relationships. There are now growing social networks and opportunities for For kids outside of the family, and so many of our children feel that they no longer need, they think they no longer need healthy relationships with their parents or their siblings to find friendship or community or connection. How about this reality? This is nothing new, but the culture says that it's acceptable for any marriage to end at any time that if at least one of the partner feels that they're no longer in love or that their needs are no longer met, it is perfectly culturally acceptable to simply end the marriage and divorce. Divorce is so common that now the motivation to stay in a difficult marriage, to work through a difficult marriage, has basically been removed. I've even begun to talk about the obstacle of technology, right? Many of, of you work remotely, eight hours a day. So you, have, you no longer have interaction in an office. We shop online instead of running to our local neighborhood store. We order food through an app. We pick it up on a shelf without any small talk or interaction with a clerk or a waiter. We, we send a text to a friend from college rather than call them and, and talk to them. We post our vacation pictures on social media rather than getting together with extended family to talk about the trip. Anybody remember those days? My grandparents, uh, I had an uncle in Hawaii and two, two cousins in Hawaii, and every year they would go. And every year when they came back, we would gather at their house and they would set up the, the carousel slides. Raise your hand. I want to see. Who remembers the carousel? Wow, more than, I, more than I thought, right? And like it was an event, right? And my grandfather had the little clicker, you know. If, if it was a good day, he might let one of us do the clicker, right? And you you'd go to the next slide. And he'd talk about what they visited that time on that, that trip, right? It was an event. We got together. We talked. We shared. We laughed. Was it boring at times as a kid? Of course, But man, those are precious memories with my my siblings, my grandparents, my parents. And now what do we do? We just post them on Facebook, right? All of these trends of technology and the distance only increased during the, the years of the pandemic. Those years increased the use of technology. Remote working, remote learning, remote shopping, remote basically everything, right? And after years of isolation... Many people came out of of the pandemic craving community, craving relationships. And I know some of you are like, do we still have to talk about this? It is still, I, I strongly believe it is still having significant impact and ramifications on our relationships and our culture in general. But many other people, many people who are wired to be introverts or many people who struggle with social anxiety, during that time, they fell out of routines, what had become very normal routines of connection and relating with other people. They fell out of those routines. They lost practice in just having chit-chat and conversations, having hard conversations. And some people became more and more uncomfortable. With personal relationships, with communication, with social interaction. And relationships over the last several years have become more challenging. And during the pandemic, we dealt with challenges like mass debates and political division and racial, t- racial tension. Many of those things continue even today. And, and every aspect of our society in 2023 now seems polarized, doesn't it? Right? And the ability to just have a basic conversation for many of you brings tension now, we cannot blame the pandemic entirely on the challenge of relationships that we find ourselves in. Many people say that the pandemic really only sped up existing cultural trends, and really all we've done is just kind of fast-forwarded 10 years to where we probably would have gotten anyway as a society, both in terms of our polarization, our reliance upon technology, the remote distance that we have in a relationship. So, so what are we to do? Look, if you're here this morning and you're more introverted, if you're someone who genuinely struggles with social anxiety, you might be quite content just to stay closed in forever, right? And to think like, like as long as I have a decent marriage and maybe one, you know, good friend that I can text, like, l- just leave me alone. For many, the idea of fostering healthy relationships is too difficult. It's too stressful. Stressful. It seems unattainable. But listen, we need relationships. We are relational people by our hardwiring before God. See, God created every one of us in His image. And our God is a relational God. That means all of us are relational. And His desire is that we would flourish in healthy relationships with spouses, with parents, with children, with siblings, with Christians in the church, with friends and neighbors and coworkers out in the world. Now listen, we all have different personalities and, and, and I need to account for that. We need to account for that. We all have different different relational capacities, right? Some people have capacity for for, for ten or fifteen close friends and, and some people are tapped out at two. And so we have different personalities and capacities, but Christians do not have the option of becoming antisocial hermits. I do not think biblically that is an option for any of us. But the good news of Jesus Christ is, in the midst of all of those challenges, not to be overwhelmed because there is hope. See, we have the love of God. We have the gospel of God. We have the word of God. We have the spirit of God. And so healthy relationships, listen, are attainable for us. So if you haven't figured it out, that's what we're going to spend the next six weeks talking about, healthy relationships. We're going to look at key passages in the Word of God that inform us, instruct us on how we can be pursuing healthy, godly, fulfilling relationships in the home, in the church, and in the world. You can see the six weeks we're going to be looking at in our topic we're going to talk this morning about what it means to put on the new self. We'll look at Colossians 3. Next week, we'll talk about what it is to show honor to one another. It's a key, key passage in, in Romans chapter 12. I think the idea of honor is something we have almost completely forgotten. Week 3, we'll look at Philippians chapter 2 and talk about what it means to cultivate humility. Humility. Then we'll look at what it is to build others up in Ephesians 4, to use our words for encouragement, not to tear others down. In James 3, we'll look at, at principles of what it is for us as Christians to disagree respectfully because you, you do not and you will not always agree, even with the people that are closest to you. How do you do that respectfully? And then we'll wrap up with Ephesians 5 and talk about what it is to walk in love. And we'll, we'll look at Ephesians 5 at the S word. If you don't know what the S word is, look at Ephesians 5. We'll, we'll tackle that. That's part of our concept of walking in love. So this morning we're going to begin in Colossians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, open up to Colossians chapter 3 or pull it up on your phone. If you're using one of the blue hardbacks, we're going to be in page 984 and, and unpack this call that we have to put on the new self. See, listen, the most critical factor to us fostering healthy, godly relationships is It's the same critical factor. It's the same key to every other area of our life. It's the gospel. It's the work of Christ. And so we begin with Christ. We begin with His work. We begin with who we are in Him. That's the only way we'll obtain any degree of health and fulfillment in our relationships. So we'll begin with the gospel in Colossians chapter 3. And let me pray again. Father in heaven, we thank You for Your Word. We confess that many of the External factors, many of our internal hurt and pain and challenges make this topic hard. And so we ask you for grace. We ask even now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would enable and empower us, that you would enable and empower us by your grace to be fed on your word, to be stirred by your spirit, to be empowered by the resurrection. Give us grace to love, to serve, to put on Christ, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Amen. Amen. Now, for some of you, the opening verses of this passage sound familiar, It's the last passage we looked at on Easter Sunday in our series, reminding us that we have been raised with Christ. And we saw in the the opening four verses that through the resurrection, because we have been raised with Christ, we are empowered now to seek heavenly things. And so verse 1 says, seek Christ. Since you have been raised with Him, seek after the things that are above After all, that's where Christ is. Christ is seated. He's reigning on the throne of grace. He he lived on earth as a a human, died, rose again, ascended to heaven. Now He's reigning next to God the Father. And we are in Him, seated with Him. Now this idea of of seek the things above, the verb tense here, indicates like a daily pursuit. Some translations say keep seeking on a daily basis, keep seeking the things above. Again, verse 2 reiterates and says, Since we are seated with, with Christ, God's call for us, His expectation for us, is to set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. We're called to seek and to set our mind on the things of heaven, the things of God, His kingdom, where Christ is seated. And so that means that the attributes, the priorities, the values of the crucified, risen Christ or what we set our mind on, what we seek. Don't seek earthly things like pleasure or comfort, but heavenly things like peace and joy. Don't set your mind on the earthly pursuit of, of temporal wealth or power, but the heavenly things, the kingdom of God and God's glory. Don't pursue relationships for your own personal gain or advantage, but to serve and to love others in the name of Jesus. Don't set your mind to dwell on the evil and pain of this world, but on the victory and the new life that we have in Christ. And we see this further truth in, in verse 3, that you've died. You've died with Christ. Now listen, this doesn't mean that you lose your personality or that you lose your identity as an individual. It means your old sinful nature was crucified with Jesus. This is Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? The old life has died. Your new life, your true life, your eternal life is now hidden with Christ in the heart of God. See, listen, if you're here this morning and you put faith in Jesus as your Savior, that means that He is in you and you are in Him. He is now with God, and so that means you are hidden with Christ in God. And this is hidden in the sense that you hide away like a valuable jewel Or a family heirloom, right? You don't leave it out in the open. It's hidden. It's covered. It's protected. We are hidden in the heart of God. Along with Christ. This is your new reality. This is your true reality. Life with God. Life in God is now what defines you, Christian. And so from this heavenly reality, the passage goes on to unfold earthly implications. Earthly implications for our life. For our lifestyle, for our character, and certainly for our relationships with others. So look now at at verse 5. This call to take off what is sinful. Verse 5 says, In light of the reality that you have died with Christ, you are now called to actively put to death what is earthly in you. That, That means what is of this sinful, fallen, broken earth. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 24. He said, If anyone would come after me, If anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you desire to follow Jesus, it means you deny yourself. You pick up your cross, and and, and you say, my life now belongs to you, and I put to death whatever is not pleasing to you. See, following Christ means pursuing personal holiness. And this requires severe commitment. It requires radical action. It says, put to death. That's not for the faint of heart. And we get a list of next of five sinful attributes. Five central attributes that must be crucified, that must be cut out. Sexual sin, it says. Impure thoughts. Passions, likely there. Lustful passions. Evil desires. Coveting, it says, which is not a common word. It's, it, it, the more common word is greed, Right? And that passage explains there, look, when you're coveting and, and and feeling greedy for something, it's basically idolatry. You're putting that position, that promotion, that that bank account number, that romantic relationship, you're putting that in the place of God. You're idolizing it in your greed. And these first earthly characteristics of sexual sin and impure thoughts and lustful passions, evil desires and greed these first characteristics are more internal right they have to do with your own heart your own thoughts but 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 they still impact every external relationship right and i don't need to tell you that because if you struggle with any of these things you know it impacts your ability to connect and relate with people in a healthy way Verse 6 goes on to say, look, God is is righteous, God is pure, and so His holy wrath is against these sinful, selfish, harmful thoughts, harmful behaviors. Of course God is against these. Of course He will have judgment on these things. It's the only way He can uphold righteousness and goodness in His kingdom. Now before you look around and start thinking, I wonder who struggles with these things? Look at verse 7. Verse 7 brings it back to you. We all once walked in these worldly patterns. We were all once living outside of Christ, but thank God, thank God that these things that defined us outside of Christ have now been forgiven through faith in His death and resurrection. We have been spared from the coming wrath of God because of His love and His grace. And so, verse 8 says, and so we are called again to be active. Christian, be active in putting away your sinful patterns. And then we get another list of of six destructive habits, we could say. And we're instructed, take these things off. Take off angry outbursts. Put them away. Take off your your rage-filled emotions. Take off malice, your harmful plotting against other people. Take off slander. Slander is when you tear someone down either by Speaking mistruths about them or or belittling them. Take off obscene, abusive language towards others. Verse 9 says, take off lying. Take off your deception. Now it's interesting that this list, this section of sinful thoughts and words and deeds are not just things that disobey God, although they do. They're not just things that internally bring you turmoil and guilt, although they do. These things are things that directly harm your relationships with other people, right? Right? Anger, rage, malice, slander, abusive language, lying, or things that will not just harm, but destroy your marriages, destroy your friendships, destroy your business partnerships, destroy interaction with coworkers, neighbors, and friends, and family. And so verse 9 says, take them off. Take off these destructive habits since you have, listen, take them off since you have taken off the old self and the sinful practices that go with it. See, verse 9 is calling our attention to what has already happened through faith in Christ. You have put off the old self with its practices. Through faith in Christ, your old nature has been crucified. You now have been raised with Christ to a new identity. And so the call here, listen, is to bring your thoughts and your words and your actions in line with your new identity. In line with your eternal reality. That your temporal Connections and interactions would be in line with, make sense with who you truly are in Christ. Listen, guys, this section of Scripture is not about your power or your personal determination to change and to do better and be better. This is about the power of Christ, the one who died for you, who, raised, who was raised for you. And through faith in Him, your sinful nature died with Him, past tense has been taken off. And so in light of that, now take off in daily life. In light of your eternal reality, in light of your new identity, now take those things off. Now live out who you are in Christ by His grace and by His power. See, verse 10 says, in Christ you have put on a new self. You have been restored, redeemed. You have taken off the sinful nature. You have put on the new self. Now, again, this is not your, your own effort to be a better person, but, but it's the reality that you've been raised. You've been transformed is what verse 10 is, is calling our minds to. So we have to put on this new self. Excuse me, we have put on this new self, but what does it say? The new self is being renewed, it says in verse 10. Right? We put on the new self, but guess what? Every day, on a daily basis, continually throughout your Christian life, your self is being renewed is being made new, renovated, you might say, in the knowledge of God, according to the image of God who created you. This reminded me of the verse we looked at in our Easter series, 2 Corinthians 4.16, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead and now is in us, renewing us Every day. See, listen, we were each of us created in the image of God to reflect God, to represent God, but sin has marred the image of God in us, cracked the image of God. It's still recognizable. You can still see the image of of a creator in every man, woman, and child, but now in Christ, that image is being restored back more fully into the image of God, that we can more fully represent and reflect him. See, God's desire for you is is not just that one day you'd be with him in heaven, but now you would be renewed more and more into the image of Christ to represent him, to to represent and live as Christ in the world around you. And we get this beautiful concept in verse 11 that, that Christ is now all that we have. All that we are is in Him. Christ is in us. He's remaking us. He defines our reality. Here in Christ, in the gospel, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. Christ is all and in all. Here's what that means, Christian. You cannot categorize or discriminate or rank other Christians based upon their race or their religion or their economic or social status. Now, our personal characteristics and our demographics don't cease to exist, but our identity as Christians has become primary. Right? Primary, and so now there's unity in the church of Jesus Christ. And so we're called to take off what is sinful, and and what does verse 12 say? Put on then. Put on what is Christ-like. Because you are God's chosen ones, Because you are holy and set apart before Him, because you are beloved by God, put on Christ like qualities. Now, again, each of these these qualities, there's at least seven of them, each of them have direct implications on how we as Christians can foster healthy relationships with the people around us. That's in your own home, in the church, in the world. Compassion it says there First of all in verse 12 That means that we have understanding And we have sympathy for the people around us Kindness Kindness is is expressing care It's expressing goodness towards others In your words and in your actions Humility Humility is not puffing yourself up above others To look down on them We'll look next week at Romans 12.3 Where it says don't think more highly of yourself than you ought But think with sober judgment With appropriate judgment Most rooms you walk into, you are not the smartest, best looking, wisest, most wonderful person in that room. Very few rooms, maybe if you're the only one in the room. Humility, not looking down on others. Meekness, it mentions. Another way to to talk about meekness is gentleness, to be gentle and tender with those around you. To be understanding, not harsh with people, not pushy with people. Men, we are called to be strong, godly, courageous, courageous, bold, and tender. Tender toward our wives and our children, those in the world around us. Patience, it says. Patience is waiting. Patience is loving and respecting those around you enough to wait. To give them time, to give them space, to process, to understand, to grow more into the image of Christ. You cannot rush anybody else's sanctification. Bearing with one another, it says, bearing with one another simply means this, you put up with people. It's, 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 it's 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 not a religious, it's not a high theological concept, it just means put up with people in your life. Listen. Every single person you will meet, every single person you will have to talk to and relate with has faults and has failures. And if you spend enough time with them, they are going to annoy you, they are going to frustrate you, and they may at some point hurt you. And you can do a couple of things in response to that. You can fly off the handle at them. You can, you can walk away and cut them off, or you can bear with them. Bear with a broken sinner, knowing that you are also a broken sinner. Number seven says forgiveness. Forgiveness in our relationships is letting go of wrongs. It's canceling the record of what someone did to you. And I'm going to spend a minute unpacking this last one because forgiveness is so crucial if we're going to pursue healthy relationships. Now listen, the passage we just read does not say, look, if you're hurt, if someone sinned against you, you really should consider forgiving them. But but if you want to, like if you really want to forgive them, if it feels right to you, then that's an option. Forgiveness is an option. That's not what it says. Right? It says, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Some of you remember that parable Jesus told about the guy. who he goes, he's been arrested, he's drugged before the courts, he stands before the judge. He owes $10 million of debt. He's about to be sold, him and his family, into slavery. He pleads for mercy. The judge has mercy on him. He's forgiven a $10 million debt. He literally just got his entire life back. He leaves the courtroom. He walks down the street. He comes across a guy that owes him 10 bucks. He grabs that guy around the throat. Jesus told this story. Grabs that guy around the throat and starts choking him saying, pay me what you owe. Now we hear a story like that and we think that is ridiculous. Who would do that? Who would be forgiven a debt of $10 million and then choke some guy commit, d- demanding 10 bucks? And Jesus says, that's what you and I do when we fail to forgive the people around us. We are completely ignoring and disrespecting the immense debt that God has forgiven you and I. And we're walking around petty, bickering with the people around us. Each of us have been forgiven an immense debt in Christ, and so now we are expected to forgive others as God has forgiven us. And forgiveness, Christian, must be your standard operating procedure. Now, listen, forgiveness begins in a moment, but it is not always complete in a moment. Sometimes forgiveness is a process, but it is a process that each of us must engage with. If you intend to have any kind of relationship, young people, if you want to get married one day, those of you that already are married, if you like to have any kind of friend, if you want to have anyone to hang out with, if you have siblings, if you have extended family, if you work in a place where there are people other than you, there's always going to be two sinners. And so if there's going to be a relationship, there must be forgiveness. When we forgive, we honor and we reflect God. When we forgive, we pres. Prevent our own hearts from being choked out by bitterness. And that will happen. And forgiveness provides the opportunity for the relationship to be restored. Now listen, hear this. Forgiveness does not always mean that the relationship will be restored. But forgiveness is the starting place. And keep this in mind, Christian. Forgiveness does not mean, oh, the Bible tells me that people that hurt me or that sins done against me are not a big deal. And I just brush them to the side. That's actually not biblical forgiveness. Biblical forgiveness says this. You're created in the image of God. He loves you. And when someone hurts you in small ways or big ways, that is a deep, deep travesty. It is a deep, deep injustice. And it is so tragic and so wrong that it, you cannot handle it. And so forgiveness says this. God, I've been hurt, and I give my hurt to you. I forgive, and I turn over the wrong into your hands, and I let you be judged. I am no longer judge. I forgive and I forget. And yes, I believe that's possible by the Holy Spirit. And I let it go. And I put it into God's hands. Not because it doesn't matter, because it matters so much that it's too big for you. Let Him handle it. You forgive and let go. For those of you that need more on this, check out the blog that I wrote called Five Reasons to Forgive. It's on the church website. Look at verse 14. After all of these qualities are mentioned that we are called to put on compassion kindness humility meekness patience bearing with one another forgiving one another verse 14 says this and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony all these traits and qualities and characteristics are bound together with love the same love that God has for you, the same love that God has put in you, the same love that God has put on you as a new creation in Christ, that is now how we relate to others. And love means this. Well, love is a difficult word to define, but I believe it means selfless devotion, selflessly devoting yourself to others around you. Love means sacrificial passion. There's a passion in love that's sacrificial. Love is an, is an affectionate concern for those in your life, and it's a genuine goodwill for others. And love is what binds every other Christ-like characteristic together in perfect harmony. Now, we've been talking for a bit about some, some big, in some ways hard, biblical principles. So let me just bring this back down a little bit. Relationships are hard, aren't they? Not if you feel like relationships are hard. Okay, thank you. We get frustrated by other people, all right? And let me give you an example of this, and I don't want to name names, so I'll just say it's a coworker whose initials are MK, all right? Now, if you know Matt Cosmo, you know that he's intelligent, you know that he's wise, you know that he's, he's very funny, he's, he's very interesting, the dude has more hobbies than I have uh, fingernails and toenails. He's, he's thoughtful, he's, he's very personable, he's a good teacher, he's a, he's a good leader, and at times, my coworker Matt Cosma, is frustrating. Okay? Now hear me out on this. I, I actually have a theory that if you spend enough time with any other human being, you will at some point be irritated or frustrated by them, right? Like be married for more than a week and you'll find that out, right? It's nothing personal, Matt, because my wife frustrates me as well. But, but Matt and I work right next to each other, Right? On a given week, we could be in the office together for 30 hours. And of those 30 hours, we could be in meetings or in one-on-one conversation for what? Four, five, six hours, some weeks? I mean, that's a lot of time, right? To rub shoulders with somebody. We had a an elders' meeting Tuesday night. And I was frustrated by something that Matt said, and I kind of corrected him, made a little bit of a snide comment, and then a little later in the meeting, he said something very, very similar, and I was feeling critical, and I again made a, made a comment with a little bit of sarcasm. It wasn't blatant. It wasn't overt. It's what my wife calls passive-aggressive. You know, you, you, you use humor. You use a, a snide comment, because you don't really want to tell somebody what you think, right? So the next day, I'm driving into the office, and the Lord puts it on my heart. I'm like, oh, man. I, he was irritating me. But it wasn't about him. It was about me. It was about me who had been critical, who had been arrogant. So the next morning I apologized. I said, look man, I I should have handled that differently last night. I'm sorry about that. Listen, here's how this works. If we're going to foster healthy relationships, we need to both take off and put on. We need to take off a critical, prideful attitude, like I sometimes have, And instead, we need to put on, as the passage instructs us, kindness, appreciation, humility, right? The best antidote for pride is humility. The best antidote for criticism is is gratitude. What, What are you grateful for in that person? Listen, the words used in the original Greek here to convey the concepts of take off and put on, you know what they're referring to? They're referring to clothes, these words are referring to taking off and putting on clothes. That, that's the analogy, that's the illustration that Paul is using by the Holy Spirit as he writes this letter to these Christians. He's talking about clothing, and they would have understood that. So this is what I have here. This is a, a flannel that I'm guesstimating is at least 25 years old. I cannot remember if I got it when I was in high school or in college. But it, as you can see, it's, it's a lined flannel, And this this is my work shirt. I, I don't bring it in the house. It stays in the garage, right? There's like maybe three buttons on it that work. The button on the sleeve is missing. At one time, I had it stapled together, but that pulled out, right? There's paint stains. There's work stains. I wash it maybe once a year, so most likely it smells, okay? Let's just say that this represents the old self, right? The old nature before we came to Christ, our sin, our selfishness, okay? What does the Bible say? Take off the old self. Right? The Bible says, take off the old nature. And, and then what does it say? Put on. Put on the new nature. So this is a jacket. I, I bought this about three weeks ago. Okay, I got it from an a, uh, online sort of a specialty novelty shop. Everything from this shop is handmade in the Amazon. And uh okay, thank you. Uh, This is not handmade in the Amazon. This is a cheap knockoff coat. But I got this a few weeks ago. I'm kind of a a jacket guy, and I have a bunch of different jackets, but I realized that the jacket that I normally wear in spring, like just a light jacket, was kind of worn out. I wanted something new. So I got this a few weeks ago. I originally ordered an extra large and a gray, and I got it home, and I put it on, and it was too big. Kind of between a large and an extra large. So if I lost about 10 pounds, the large would most of the time be perfect. Anyway. So I sent it back, and I reorder it. What do you guys think? Thumbs up? Does that look sharp? Okay. So this is the new self, okay? This is the new nature in Christ. It's new, it's clean, it's fresh, right? It's full of love and the grace of God and the Spirit of God. It walks in submission to God. This is the new nature. Now, we are told to take off the old nature and put on the new nature, right? To take off the old self and put, off, put on the new self. Now, this is both a reality In your past, based upon your faith in Christ, grounded in His death and His resurrection, an eternal reality that is set in heaven, and this is also a daily command, right? As our nature is being renewed. And so in light of what Christ has done, we now every day have to take off and put on. Now there's at least three mistakes people make when they do this. Here's the first mistake that we make, and we're talking this morning about the context of relationships, but this is true, you know, in your personal life. Your relationship with God. The first mistake is this, right? We realize, look, this old nature, it's ragged, it's tired, it's smelly, it's hurting people, it's causing me guilt, it's disrespecting God. And so we take off. We say, I'm no longer going to be an angry, malicious person. I'm no longer going to use abusive speech. I'm no longer going to be prideful or look down on others. I'm going to take that off. I'm going to get it away. And then we just try to live. Like we just try to live without a coat on at all. And then what happens the first time a coworker says something demeaning? What happens the first time your spouse fails to meet your expectations? What happens the first time your sibling calls you to bicker about mom and dad, but you really know they're calling to to make you feel bad for something you didn't do? What happens? We we go back and we put back on our old self. We put back on our old nature. Why? Because it's convenient. It's sitting right there. It's easy to grab. It's what we go back to. So the first mistake we make is we only, we only take off, right? And we fail to put on who we are in Christ. But the second mistake is this. Other people, as we go through challenges and difficulties, we say, you know what? My marriage is hard. My relationships with my siblings is hard. I'm getting irritated with co-workers and I'm finding myself prideful and angry and selfish and greedy. And so I, I need to do better. And so we say, I, I need to... I need more of Jesus. I need more love, more forgiveness, more kindness, more gentleness, more patience, more humility. And so, so we say, I, I need to put on. I, I need to put on more of Christ, right? And so we, I'm going to put on humility, and I'm going to put on forgiveness. And we're gonna, we try to put it on without ever taking off the old nature Do I look comfortable? Is this going to work? Am I going to last long with this new nature, trying to cram it over top of my old sin? Of course not. This is not a viable, sustainable way to live. The call of the Scripture is that you've died with Christ and you've been raised with Christ. You take off the old nature, and you put on the new nature. And you rest in the reality of Christ's work in your life, and you daily, by His Spirit and by His grace, You seek to honor him in living that. And that's really the third mistake that people make is that they attempt to do any or all of those steps and that process in their own strength. They try to take off in their own strength and just stop losing their temper and stop stop cursing at their spouse and stop lying to get out of trouble and stop being demeaning. Or they simply try to do better and be more patient and more kind and more loving. But but the third mistake is to do that in your own strength, to do that outside of faith in Christ, outside of relying upon the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit every moment of every day. Friends, if you're going to find healthy relationships... If you're going to live as Christ has called you to live, it means take off bitterness by the power of God and put on forgiveness. If you're going to have healthy, fulfilling relationships, we take off anger through the work of Christ and we put on patience. It means that by God's Spirit dwelling in us, we repent, we turn, we take off slander and instead of just, you know the old adage, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, if you don't have anything nice to say, repent, ask God to forgive you, and ask Him to show you one thing. There might be a hundred things to be critical and negative about. Ask God to show you one thing to be thankful for, to be appreciative of, and that's what you speak to that person. You take off slander and you put on encouragement. We take off arrogance and we put on humility. We take off criticism by the power of of what Christ did on the cross, and by the power of his resurrection, we put on love. We can be men and women that walk in love. Look at verse 15 as we bring this to a close. Here's this beautiful picture that it paints. As you surrender to God, as you embrace your new life in Christ, your Christ-like nature, it says, let the peace of Christ rule and reign in your heart. As the peace of Christ rules and reigns in your heart, it spills out into your relationships with others. And it says, be thankful. Christian, be a person full of gratitude. Looking over the negative, the pessimistic, the missed opportunities, the failed expectations, the hurt, and and, and look and see what God is doing and be a thankful man, a thankful woman. Don't be critical or negative, but walk with gratitude. And verse 16 says live your life, invest in relationships with the word of Christ dwelling in you and flowing out of you. And this beautiful picture, it says, teaching one another with wisdom, admonishing one another in love and in truth, encouraging one another with songs and singing to God with gratitude. You see the, the picture of that's painted of this person that's just living his life, singing and encouraging and blessing and giving thanks and walking in peace, not because life is not still challenging, but because he's filled with the Spirit of Christ. She is overwhelmed by the power and presence of God. And now is walking in joy and gratitude and peace and love, speaking blessing and truth and encouragement to those around. Because healthy relationships is, is what God has for us. We we have to have relationships. We can either be miserable, we can try to cut ourselves off, although I think you'll you'll be unsuccessful in that, or you can say, God, will you stir in me a healthy marriage? Will you call me to repentance and truth in my friendships? Will you enable me to walk with humility and work, that we can live and work and play and serve in the church, work in the world, relate with our teammates, connect with our neighbors, Navigate difficult parenting situations, press on through hard marriages, reach out to old college friends, sit next to difficult co workers, all in the name of Christ. That's what verse 17 says. And whatever you do, listen, whatever you do when you leave this sanctuary this morning, whatever you do tomorrow morning when you wake up, in word or deed, in everything, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do it for Christ. Do it by Christ. Do it as His representative. Giving thanks all the time, verse 17 says, to God the Father by the Holy Spirit. The worship team is going to come now and we're going to praise and sing again. And we're going to sing out the name of Jesus. And we're going to plead for the work of Christ to come and fill our hearts and to fill our relationships. Make this song a prayer. Maybe it's a time of repentance. Maybe it's a time of vision. As we enter this six-week period of studying the Word of God, what does it mean for us to love and to serve and to live as Christ has done for me? So let's stand together and pray. Father, we ask, as we prepare our hearts, We ask that we would be a people that no matter what we do, no matter where we go, who we connect with, no matter what we have to say or have to put into action, that in everything, we would do it in the name of Jesus. That we would give thanks to You, our God, our Father, that the Spirit would dwell in us. And so we lift up this worship song, where we proclaim the name of Christ. There's power in Him because of his work there's power in christ our savior because his death truly happened and it means something his resurrection truly happened and it means something and so holy spirit come that not just the name but the power the person of jesus would fill our hearts would fill our relationships that the work of jesus what he accomplished for us would come into our lives come into our relationship and we pray now for power power to crucify our sinful nature. Power to take off what oftentimes feels too comfortable. Bring healing through the name of Jesus. Healing in our hearts. Healing in our relationships. And bring life through the name and the work and the power of Jesus. Bring your abundant life, your eternal life, your resurrected life. Heal us. Restore us. Be present among us, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen.